You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. Today, 1 Peter chapter 2, and I want you to look with me uh, at the text. We're going to be reading verse 24 and verse 25. So let me read those to begin this, and then I want to talk to you about a wake-up call. Look at verse 24. He himself bore our bodies, or bore our sins, rather, in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. The title of the message this morning is a wake-up call about discipleship. Now, probably the theme that is most sensitive to the heart of Christ for you and for our church is, is this theme of discipleship. Now, if that is true, if the, if the thought and the theme of discipleship is nearest and closest to the heart of God, then I would want to know what, how Christ describes and defines true discipleship in the Word. It's very important that we listen this morning. Everything Jesus did in his earthly ministry, both in his life and in his death, was to provide the possibility of discipleship. It's very important. 19 times in the Gospels, beginning with the fishermen, Jesus said 19 times, follow me. One of those times was in Luke chapter number nine in verse 23, where the word of God says that he said to all, the call is to everyone. The call is to anyone. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and say it with me, church, follow me, follow me. This is the essence of Christianity. The essence of Christianity is following Christ. You might ask, isn't everyone doing that? And the answer to that question is no. Not everyone is following Christ. In fact, some of the things that people are doing instead of following Christ is what I'd like to talk to you about next. Because you know what I'm finding as a pastor, and, 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 I'm, and I'm, I'm even sensing this in my own life, in my own life, I sense that I am battling some of the distractions, and especially I could say I have battled through some of the distractions that have kept me from following Christ in a biblical manner. Number one, the first thing that I like to share with you that people do instead of following Christ is this, critiquing the world. Critiquing the world. I mean, how often does it seem as if our attitude is, you know what, the world is going to hell in a handbasket. I don't know what we're going to do about this thing. Man, it's just such a terrible place out there. And man, it's so sinful out there. And man, you're just, you know, we're just shouting at the darkness, just hating on, on the darkness. And yet what does scripture call us to? Jesus did not call us to shout at the darkness. He's called us to shine the light, to be a city on a hill, to proclaim the gospel, the love of God, the grace of God. And oh, I'm saying this, it's not following Christ by critiquing the world. Secondly, something people do instead of following Christ is critiquing the church. Critique the church. Well, I'll tell you what. Our church is not what it's supposed to be. 
I'm off to another one. And off we go. And by the way, you, 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 you could, I mean, it's 203 in town. So if you're on 77, you got 133 to go. Enjoy. I mean, and by the way, if your attitude is, well, I, I'm just looking for that perfect church. You're never going to find that perfect church. And so this idea of critiquing the church, the church is not what it's supposed to be. Let me just say this next to that. Duh. I get it. I was at Wendy's two weeks ago. I, I drove the bus for the Christian school. And I just want to say this. I love our Christian school. I don't have any kids. For the first time, there's the only capacity in the Christian school is my granddaughter. And I don't have any children in the Christian school. But I love driving the bus, man. I love those kids. And I got to drive it to Conway the other day. And we were at Wendy's after eating a burger. And I had my, I was incognito, man. I had my hat on, you know, my gospel hat. hat and I was, I was really dressed down and comfortable eating the Wendy's salad. And Mo Capace was on the other side. And Tim Gillespie. And I had a student to my right. And we were just sitting there. And all of a sudden, this dude walks up to our table, sits down at our table, and just says this. Are you guys from gospel light? And... You know, we all kind of went like this. It was kind of weird the way he did it. You know, we're like, yeah, yeah. He goes, do you know Eric Capace? And no joke, Tim and Mo both, they did not say yes. They just went. They just, I mean, both of them, they just went. Like they pointed across it, like, yeah. And he looks at me and he goes, so you're Eric Capace? The pastor of gospel? I said, yeah. He goes, I just want you to know, I have not heard anything good about you. He goes, I pastor an independent, fundamental, King James-only church. And I just haven't heard one good thing about you. I've heard, all right, he just went on. He said, but I want you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. People are so critical. They're just critiquing you and critiquing. And, you know, it's none of their business. And he went into this whole tirade about, and at the end of the day, I thought, you know what? Some of it's probably true. I mean, he went kind of a strange way of going about it. He said some nice things at the end. But I thought at the end of the day, You know, some of what he said is true. You know, we are not a perfect church and I'm not a perfect pastor. And I've said often that if you're looking for to critique the church, if that's kind of your goal is to to critique, start right here because you won't, it won't take you long. You can start right at the senior pastor position and find that this is not a perfect place. Not pastor by perfect pastor. No one has it all together. We have a lot of growing to do down here. But I sure do like what Theodore Roosevelt said in a speech he made at the dedication to the Panama Canal. If you don't mind, I'm going to read you an excerpt of that speech. Obviously, Theodore had some critics as well. Gentlemen, there's never been a great feat done yet that there were not some men evil enough, small enough, or foolish enough to wish to try to interfere with it and sneer at those who are actually doing the work. From time to time, little men will come along to find fault with what you've done. To say that something could have been done better, that there's been some mistakes, some shortcomings, that things are not managed in the best of all possible manners, they will have their say, and they will go down the stream like bubbles and then vanish. But the work that you have done will remain through the ages. It is the man who does the job that counts, not the little scolding critic who thinks this is how it ought to have been done. Amen, Theodore. Praise on. That's good stuff. So many pastors... I know, are devastated by the criticism, crippled by it. You know what? I've always lived by this as criticism has come my way through the years. The best way to handle criticism is to accomplish your cause. If God's called you to something, 
If God's called you to follow him, if you're, if God's called you to, to do something for him, you can rest assured there will be critics and sometimes they'll be right. But I'm just thankful today that our church is not set up with a pastor who feels as if he can make no mistakes. That's why we have an elder led church. That's why we welcome critique and criticism in a sense that it's not from a heart of anger, but from someone who just wants to share an idea or maybe pastor, have you thought about this? Or could we do this? Or here's an idea. We welcome that. And that's the way it ought to happen in every church. Amen. Because sometimes, sometimes we do have something to say, but in the right spirit, it's, it's taken right. So following Christ is not critiquing the world, critiquing the church, but there's some other things following Christ is not. And people are emphasizing this, and it's an overemphasis of things that are good. Number one, it's an overemphasis on worship, on worshiping Christ. Those that are looking for that personal experience with Christ. Those that are coming to church and raising their hands and getting a good touchy-feel moment, and then walking out thinking, you know, I did my church for the week, now it's time to go party. But I, but I go to church, I worship the Lord. I sing the worship songs. I, I kind of went through my little deal and I had my little experience with Christ. Let me say this. To many, it's all about their experience with God. And I love the experience of worship. I love what we experienced this morning. And I myself raised my hands and enjoyed it. But I want to say this. Worship by itself is not discipleship. Worship by itself is not following Christ. And we see today an overemphasis on this. Number two, an overemphasis on working for Christ, walking with Christ, rather. I want to take another class. I want to just kind of get deeper in the word. I want to get another degree and just, I'm just, and that's nothing wrong with those things. We have a college here and we encourage people to take classes and get a degree and we're all for that. But when the emphasis is only placed on, I just want to have this closer walk, no more and we end up getting a head full of knowledge and we know the truth. But can I say that discipleship is more than knowing the Bible. It's living it out. It's living it out. So following Christ is learning his word, but not only learning the book, but living the book. And then thirdly, an overemphasis on working for Christ. Oh man, was this ever me. Whew. For about 15 years, Gospel Light had an overemphasis on working for Christ. Everybody needs to be busy for God. Man, I remember there was a day in my life where, and my wife can attest to this, where if I would have come home before 7.30, Monday through Sunday, she would have been shocked. Oh, you're home early. Let me heat up dinner for you. I mean, you're looking at a guy that I could work, I mean, and, 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 and stay busy and work this and work that. And it was, listen, yesterday was the first day that I actually took a day and just said, I'm staying home. And, and I told the elders, I'm going to start taking Saturdays off somehow, some way, minus weddings and homegoing services and things that I just have to do. But man, it felt so good just, just to be home and not feel guilty about not being at the church. Are you with me? There's an overemphasis sometimes on working for Christ, this attitude that says everybody just needs to be busy for God. We've got to get to work. We've got to help others. We've got to feed the poor. Listen, working for God is an important part of discipleship. But if that's all, it gets really tiring after a while. We see a lot of folks burned out. And if all they've done is work for Christ, but they haven't walked with Christ, they haven't worshipped Christ. So I want you to notice three things about Peter and discipleship. Let's jump into this. This is so real, so raw, so convicting. 
Number one, the cost of discipleship is redemption. Listen, church, Jesus, get this, get this, absorb this. Jesus wants to have a personal relationship with you. He does. He wants to have a personal relationship with you. But that comes at an incredible price. Jesus paid an incredible price for you to have that relationship with him. And Peter describes it like this in verse 24 of our text. He starts by saying, he himself. He himself. First of all, let's identify that that as we break this down, that, that he is saying that Jesus wasn't coerced into going to the cross. This was not some plan B. In fact, we find the word says that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In Matthew chapter number one, verse 21, it says, let's call his name Jesus. Why? Because he shall save his people from their sins. Redemption. Jesus paid an incredible price. It was God's plan for redemption. And Peter emphasizes it by saying he himself, no plan B, nobody else could do this. This was the only plan, redemption. It says he himself bore our sins. It has the idea of he carried this weight. He shouldered himself the sins of mankind. This is the idea, as we sang a moment ago, of the Lamb, the perfect, sinless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who was offered once for all for the sins of the world. Next week, we'll gather tomorrow, next Sunday night at five o'clock in this auditorium for the Lord's Supper. And we will gather to remember that Jesus died as a lamb. He was slaughtered. He was broken and spilled out. He was, he was murdered. He was killed. He was tortured. Why? So you and I could have redemption. Next Sunday night, there's no other place to be if you're a follower of Christ than in church participating in the Lord's Supper. Amen. Jesus said, I want you to do a couple of things, church. If you don't mind for me before I come back, I'd like for you to observe the Lord's Supper as often as you'd like. And I'd like for you to be baptized to follow me. Identify yourself with the church. Those two things. If you could do those two things. Let me tell you something, church. Next Sunday night's important. We will, as a church, obey that. We'll remember. So let's learn some doctrine together. Really, what we sang a moment ago, the Lamb of God who took our place. There's two words that... You'll often study when you get into a study of, 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 of the doctrine of salvation, and that is substitutionary atonement. It's the gospel in two words, and it means this. I'll give you the gospel in four words as a definition. Jesus took my place. That's what it means. And that's what it means when it says in this verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his own body. That Jesus paid a debt that he did not owe because we owed a debt that we could not pay. That, my friend, is substitutionary atonement. He did take our place. A holy and a righteous God paid for my sin. I was unable to pay what God's righteous judgment demanded. And a loving Savior stepped in and said, I got this. Eric, I got this. I'll shed my blood for you. 
my, my, my holiness demands a sacrifice. But I'll go instead of you. And Jesus, he himself, Jesus, bore our sins in his body. He said, I'll pay the price. Substitutionary atonement. Jesus took my place. This is what the liberals scoff at. This is what the cults cannot understand. This is what the world religions cannot argue about. I mean, listen, we are saying, this is why they hate us. Because we're saying there's only one who can save and his name is Jesus. You can't work your way to heaven. You can't save yourself. You must put your faith 100% in the Lamb of God. The cost of discipleship is redemption. Number two, there's a crisis. And the crisis of discipleship is to return. In verse 25, he says, for we were, we were, we were straying. We were going our own way, doing our own thing, just like sheep. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a crisis? Every person has to come to a place of crisis before they can return. Yesterday, my wife and I, we got a little gym we fiddle around at and our family does a little thing uh, just for fun, just a little therapeutic thing. We got a little gym in near the village and we were out there yesterday signing this couple up. And when we got there, they walked in and it was so funny. They walk in and they said, we don't care what the price is. We don't need to look at the gym. We just want to join. I'm like, great, okay, yeah, we'll come in and you can join. They say, yep, we went to the doctor, we're severely overweight, we've got all kinds of problems, high blood pressure, I'm a mess. He says, if I don't lose weight, I'm going to die, I want to join. I'm like, great, let's just let's sign you up. They're ready for change because of the crisis. You see, sometimes it takes a crisis to bring about Redemption. Every conversion story must have a crisis. And that's the crisis he's talking about here. For you were straying like sheep. What are sheep like? You ever thought about that? I don't have time to develop it. I've actually preached in years past an entire series on sheep, but sheep are stubborn. I feel really awkward saying that because like I'm a sheep. So really... I should be sitting down there with you and just preaching this part of the message like in the pews. Because I promise you, this is not, this is not like I'm, I'm not stubborn. This is like I'm really stubborn. Because that's what sheep are. Stubborn. I don't want to. Uh-uh, no, 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 I, I, I'll pass. I don't want to do that. You can't make me. Sheep are stubborn. Sheep are stupid. Sorry. I told you, I'm one of you. I, I, I'm a sheep. Yeah. You ever seen a sheep that just wants to follow the shepherd? No, it's not how it works. They'll, they'll do some of the craziest things. They'll, they'll, they'll walk into danger. I mean, they could get their life. Were it not for the shepherd, a sheep would die because they're stupid. They, they'll do things that are just absolute. Why would you do that? Don't you know better? No, I don't know any better. <laughs> Man, it feels good. Let's go. And then sheep are selfish. By the way, that's me. I tend to be selfish. I'm a sheep too. 
Peter says that we are all sheep. And we were all straying like sheep. So we must come to a crisis where we realize it's not going to get better until we trust the good shepherd. You have to come to the place where you recognize that I can't earn God's favor on my own. So the question is this, have you returned? Have you had a crisis? Have you, this is so beautiful because in reality, verse 25 says, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned. In other words, it's as if everybody was straying. So, so everybody was born for the purpose of having a relationship with God. Everybody was. That's why I'm so thankful it's a whosoever God, whosoever will gospel. Amen. Every one of you sheep can return to the shepherd and bishops of your soul. Every one of you can, because every one of us are straying. But all of us can return. So that the question is, have you returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul? The protector, the provider of your soul. Jesus wants to be your shepherd. He said in John chapter 10 and verse number 27, My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Don't you want to return? Don't you want to return? And it doesn't say return to a building. We've got to be very careful right now because I'm not talking about, you know, yeah, I need to get back in church. I'm not talking about that. It's not talking about getting back in church. I need to return to the Bible. I need to get back to the building, to the book. We're not talking about that. It's not talking about getting back to some kind of human being. It's talking about getting back to Jesus Christ. The shepherd, the overseer, return to Jesus. He is the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Listen to me, this is so important. Have you done this? Has there been a time when you made this all-important decision to stop and realize the crisis and give your heart over to Jesus Christ, our Lord? For me, it was September the 1st, 1978. I remember as a 13-year-old boy, I mean, I, I cannot, I can tell you vividly the moment that I understood there was a crisis. I was under conviction. I remember coming down the aisle and I was not embarrassed. I was just like so overwhelmed. I got to the preacher in front of all of my peers, my friends. Tony Thomas was sitting next to me. Tony was at, at the end of the aisle. I had to say, excuse me, move your legs. I got to get out. He said, well, were you a little embarrassed? Honestly, I didn't even know if anybody was there at that point. I just knew I couldn't save myself and I've been trying to save myself my whole religious life. And I came to a crisis where I understood that without Christ, I would die and go to hell forever. Oh, I thank God for that crisis that got me down that aisle to Christ. Every time we have a baptism, you'll notice in the testimony there's a crisis at some point. There's a place where they were straying like sheep and they realized that this is so important. You have to have this. Do you have a conversion story? Have you made that choice? Because all of eternity hangs in the balance. And someone may say here, well, yeah, you know, I, I think I have. You know, this is, how, how would you, how, I wonder how my wife would feel if you asked me if I was married. And I said, you know, I think I am. I think I'm married. Not really sure. Think so. It's not good enough. Don't play Russian roulette with your soul. 
Don't, 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 don't let it be. Well, I, you know, I prayed a little prayer at some point in my life. I, my grandmother said she heard it. She heard it. I, I don't remember anything. But she said, I said, that's not what I'm talking about. This is not somebody else realizing it. This is you realizing. Have you done this? Have you made that choice? And this is not just some little prayer. This isn't just some little personal decision that you made. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9 and 10 is very clear. When it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Listen to this. The emphasis being on confess with your mouth and the emphasis being on believe in your heart. That God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. One of the reasons I believe that so many people uh, are not sure of their salvation. Is that they have done something in private. That Jesus never intended to be something private. Scripture says in Matthew 10.32. So everyone who acknowledges me before men. I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. In Luke 12, 8. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges, acknowledges me before men, the son of man, also will acknowledge before the angels of God. Listen to me, church. It was never God's intent that you would have this little secret thing with Jesus. Our world is infatuated with secrets and privacy. It's my deal. Yeah, I've got my little thing with Jesus. It's none of your business. Well, you may not want it, you may want it to be a secret, but I can assure you, Jesus does not want it to be a secret. He didn't intend it to be a secret. If you're married, you wear a ring. Amen. I'm not ashamed of that. If you're a sheriff, Don, you wear a badge. Amen. You don't walk without walk around without a badge unless you're doing some you know private detective work, maybe. But you're not ashamed to be a sheriff. You wear the badge. So how do you make your faith public? It's by being baptized. That's how you make it public. That's how you publicly confess your faith in Christ. That's scriptural. It's in the Bible. It's so important. Next, uh, rather, December the 1st is the next time we're going to be having a baptism Sunday. I already know we have several baptisms. People are getting excited about following Christ around this place, church. You haven't heard so. Oh, it's amazing. In fact, when Andrew got saved this morning at the altar, it was so awesome. Andrew came down shaking, shaking. I was, I was fearful for his condition. I mean, he was crying and shaking like this when he got to me. And I grabbed him and I said, Andrew, what can I pray with you about? I'm tired of running. I'm tired of hiding. I want to get saved. We dropped on our faces before God this morning right here at this spot. I said, Andrew, go ahead and talk to God about it. He cried out to God in the sinner's prayer and his little words and cried out and got saved. As soon as he did, it was like his body. Look, and I'm not trying to be spooky. I'm just telling you the truth. He just got calm. He hugged me. I said, how do you feel? He said, I'm so thankful I got that taken. I said, what do you think about getting baptized? He said, when's the next time? I'm ready. I'm ready. December the 1st, I'm ready to publicly confess Christ. 
On his way out, he shook my hand. He said, hey, you need a cook for the... He's a chef. He said, you need a, uh, a cook for the Thanksgiving Day feast? I said, yes, I'm sure Troy will be thankful for that. <laughs> so we got one, brother, and probably have more, but I thought it was great. He said, call me. I'm ready. I'm talking about a kid that is quiet. If you know Andrew, you know he's quiet. He's reserved. Something has happened to Andrew in the last 60 minutes. There was a crisis. There was a conversion. You see, there's a discipleship factor here that's taken place. It was a cost that someone paid for him to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And now, my friends, there is a crisis of discipleship. Every time someone had that crisis of conversion in the New Testament, they made the heart decision public by being baptized. Let me share with you a few verses. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and be baptized every one of you. We see this all throughout the book of Acts. In Acts chapter number 8 and verse 12. And, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Acts chapter 8 and verse 38, and he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. In fact, it's interesting in that story, if you read a few verses before, the the Ethiopian said, man, I want to be baptized. And Philip was right. He said, have you believed? He said, oh, have I believed in the name of the Son of God? Yes, I have. And he said, stop the chariot, let's get in the water. Believe and be baptized. You say, wow, preacher, I... You're putting salvation and baptism pretty close. I am, because the Bible does. I thought it'd get quiet right there. Because if you think for a minute I'm saying that baptism is salvation, I'm not. You don't have to be baptized to be saved, but nobody should say amen right there. Because that's not what we're talking We're talking about salvation is by grace alone, putting your faith in Christ. That's salvation. But baptism follows a true conversion every time. You're not baptized to get saved, but you're baptized because you're saved and you're gladly, unashamedly willing to do it. It's all throughout the Bible. Acts chapter 16, verse 33. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and his family. Acts 18, verse 8, one more. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household and many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. This is the biblical way of going public with your salvation. It pictures the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Have you done that? Have you done that? If not, you need to get that done. And by the way, infant baptism is not in the Bible anywhere. You have a pastor that's like read the whole Bible several times. It's not in the Bible. You say, well, I was baptized as an infant. Does that count for anything? Well, for your parents, it probably did. Ask your kid, listen, Juliet just got dedicated as a baby. When she grows up, let's ask her. So how was the baby dedication? (laughs) Oh, it's wonderful. I remember, Papa, when you lifted me up in front of the crowd and showed my little big rear end to everybody. And it was so embarrassing. I couldn't believe you did it. It didn't mean anything to Juliet. She's ready for the next Meal. <laughs> yeah, the next snack. Have you seen her? <laughs> She's a capacy. She loves food. But it meant something to Joe and Tiffany. There's a memorial in their home hanging on their wall. It's a plaque 
reminds Joe and Tiffany that they committed to raise her in a Christian home. But baptism is different. It's scriptural. It's biblical. Maybe you've known the Lord for many years, but you've never been biblically baptized. Get that taken care of. Maybe you're a pastor. I remember when my own brother, Brett, who was a pastor, when he finally said, I just, I've got to take, get this taken care of. I'm so proud of him. People all over the world are paying a price to publicly profess their faith in Jesus Christ by being baptized, even if it causes them death. Death. They're following Christ and being baptized, even if it means they lose their lives. That's why I don't have a lot of sympathy for the one that would say, well, I'm, you know, it's just a me and Jesus thing. And I don't know, you know, I just don't want anybody. It's kind of weird getting up in front of everybody. I don't, listen, this is, this is not weird. This is what we do. This is what Christ followers do. We follow Christ. We obey Christ. Oh, I encourage you this morning, if you've never been biblically baptized, take care of that December 1. Make it public, maybe even by coming forward this morning. The cost of discipleship is redemption. The crisis of discipleship is return. And in closing, the process of discipleship is the reason. It's the reason. It's the reason why we are a disciple of Christ. Can I give you that reason? It's found in verse 25. It's very clear. Or verse 24. It says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. Here it is. Two reasons why. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Jeremy, I love it when God keeps it simple. Two things, he says. Let, let, me get, let me just make this simple. Two things. Here's the process. I want you to spend the rest of your life, now that you've had the crisis, now that you've had the conversion, wonderful. The rest of your life, I got two things I want you to do to follow me. I want you to die to sin, and I want you to live to righteousness. And that's a process. That takes a long time. That happens over time. God did what he did for us because he wanted to do some amazing awesome, transforming things in our lives. And that's what God wants to do. That should be on the screen. He wants to do some amazing, awesome, transforming things. And I want to stand before you today as one of those amazing, awesome, transforming child of God. I've come a long way, baby. Oh yeah. You should have seen me 42 years ago. I hardly knew anything. I, I couldn't have quoted John three sixteen. I didn't know the Ten Commandments. I didn't know. All I knew is that Jesus loved me. He died for me. Without him, I'd die and go to hell. And I'm so glad I got saved. But man, oh man, have I come a long way. It's been incredible. And that's the way that God works. So that when people see your life and how you live your life, they would then say, because of your commercial, they would, your life is a commercial. They would then say, Whoa, how are they, that's incredible, how are they doing that? I remember my, my wife, every time she goes to the hospital, like this last couple of weeks when she had that near-death experience and it was so scary and crazy and wild and, and, and you know, for a while there it was like touch and go and then, you know, finally they get that blood dripping in her and she starts kind of coming to life again and then, you know, all the nurses and all the doctors are standing around saying, are different. It's just different. There's a calmness here. They see us praying together and trusting God together. And, and, and the doctor sees us kind of telling him that people are praying for us. I told you that story a couple of weeks ago when I told the doctor, hey, we're, 
We prayed for you all morning. You were on our prayer line. Your name. Unashamedly. He said, did you kind of feel weird? No, I didn't feel weird. Man, I love Jesus. And I want to be able to say that I love Jesus so that the world can, can inquire and say, who is this Jesus that's changed your life? It doesn't make any sense. It's crazy how you're dealing with this. How do you do that? Let me tell you about how I do it. And then it says, die to sin. It's not actually talking about a physical death. That word actually means in the Greek to depart, to be away from, to cease from. So there is this process. The reasons for discipleship, number one, are, first of all, less sin. That's the process. In other words, you've heard me say this often, that a gospelite has a preacher and he's a sinner. Amen. I'm one sinner preaching to other sinners how we can all sin a little bit less. Amen. That's the goal. Prayerfully, all of us are doing, we're, we're, we're sinning less than we did last year. Prayerfully, all of us are overcoming some of the chains that have bound us, some of the things that we've struggled with. We're getting through. We're growing together. God is changing us and setting us free from the patterns of sin. Amen. Listen, remember, sin only causes pain anyway. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. Man, listen, I've learned. Man, if if I don't sin... There's a blessing for that. If I sin, I suffer. If I do the right thing, I'm blessed. I like plan B. Plan B is a lot better, but you learn that over time. It's a process of sinning less, but that's not all. Sin less. It's not just the wrong that you don't do. It's the good that you do do. That's why it says, die to sin, but live to righteousness. Do the right thing. Every right choice I make leads to blessing in my life. Every good decision, every time I'm obedient to God's word, every time I work through a conflict resolution in a relationship, dying to sin and living to righteousness is the process of discipleship. This is how it works. The first step is the crisis of conversion. And then all the other steps are the process of discipleship. And that's why we want to be about, as a church, making disciples. Matthew 28, making disciples. And I'm going to confess as your pastor, as an elder, I'm going to confess along with all of our other elders that we, because the Holy Spirit has brought me to this place to confess this to you as a church family, we've not been doing a real good job of this. I've been, I've just been so concerned That we have a bigger church, but not a better church. I've been so concerned that we're not challenging you enough to grow in grace. I'm concerned that many of us are satisfied with just being church members, but going out to the community and not living any different than they are. Our church is growing in number. Tomorrow, my house will be full. It'll be packed. I love it. I love it. Last year, we grew over 100 members. Last year alone. You should have been at the first service. It will not be long before the first service is as big as the second service. We were almost full this morning. I mean, it was a couple of empty, but I mean, 
it is amazing. We started that first service with 10 people. And now it's nearing 200 people sometimes. You see, our church is growing in number. More is easy. Better is tough. It's easy to get a group of people together. It's super difficult to make disciples. Shallow is easy. Substance, that's tough. You see, as the quantity grows, we must ask ourselves, how's the quality going? Do we just have more people sitting in our pews? Or are we making disciples of Jesus Christ? And guess where, the, guess where the conviction starts? Guess where the judgment begins? It begins with the elders and the deacons. It begins with the leadership. So I want to close this message out, and I'm closing now. But I want to close this message out as an elder to say, on behalf of all of our elders, that I've taken all of them out to coffee for the last two weeks, and I've invested two hours, almost three sometimes, with each of them. I've sat and confessed to them that I'm excited that we've made the change. We're no longer a pastor-led church. We are an elder-led church, and we have a senior pastor, right? And that's, 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 that's Eric Pacey. I'm casting the vision. I'm the lead teaching pastor here. But as elders, we need a wake-up call. How foolish would it be for us to ask you to wake up to discipleship if we're not truly leading the way we should lead? And I'm simply saying that we went ahead and we reviewed our covenant obligations to the church. And I'm going to close as an elder on behalf of our elders before the first of the year and confess to you, this is what God's called us to. So if we are going to truly be what God's called us to be, if we are going to make disciples, then the elders better get busy living by our covenant promise to the church. And it starts with me. Here it is. The elder in the covenant obligation is that shepherds of a local church, we are men entrusted with protecting, leading, equipping, and caring for the corporate church body and her individual members. So the following is an overview of the covenant obligations for elders as denied, uh, rather defined within the scriptures. It's not about one man anymore. It's not about the pastor. It's about elders. And these elders are, are, are walking with Christ and working for Christ and worshiping Christ and discipling one another so that we can then do these things. Number one, to along with the aid of the members, appoint elders and deacons according to the criteria assigned to them in scripture. So we're going to be doing that at the first of the year, presenting a couple of new elders for you to research and to hear from, and then prayerfully appointing some new deacons. And there may be minus some deacons and plus some deacons. There may be maybe minus some elders and plus some elders, but I don't feel like we'll have any elders after meeting with all of them. I feel like all of them are 100% ready to move forward together with the challenge that I've presented to them. We're having a meeting, I think, next week. We're having dinner together for three hours to pray and discuss our final thoughts. And then I can make a final announcement about what God's done. To prayerfully seek God's will for our church community and steward her resources to the best of our ability based on our study of the scriptures and following of the spirit. To oversee the church members as disciples of Christ. And here's what's convicting and here's what's earth shattering. And to give an account for their growth in grace, truth, and love. 
Let me tell you something. If I'm going to give an account for you, your growth in Christ, I've got to get more involved in your life. I've got to. And so therefore, we need to provide teaching and counsel from the whole scripture. We need to equip the members of the church for the work of the ministry. We need to be on guard against false teachers and teachings. We need to lovingly oversee the exercise of discipline when necessary for the glory of God, the good of the one disciplined, and the health of the church as a whole. It's part of it. When someone is living in sin and they're not being lovingly approached by an elder, then the church is not being shepherded properly and the people are not growing. And we're not a true church. And then finally, we want you to grow up in Christ. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I know this. Man, God is growing me up right now. I've had a few spankings recently, and I'm loving every minute of it because I'm drawing closer to Jesus as I repent and get right with the Lord. And when I say repent, I'm not talking about of qualifi- you know, sinful disqualifications from the ministry. I'm just talking about of being a more biblical elder, a better leader. That's all I'm talking about. If this comes as a shock to any of you, man, Pastor, I... You know, I think you're doing a great job. I appreciate that. I, I'm honored. And I, 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 in many ways, I feel like I am doing a, 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 a job that's worthy of me to continue to do this. But I want you to know I'm not satisfied with the route and the way that things. I, I want to lead you better. And I want our elders to lead you better. And we're working on that because if we're going to make disciples, we've got to first make sure that we're truly disciples of Christ and following Christ. hope that makes sense. I humbly submit myself to you and I say, pray for me as we enter into a new year and we challenge you to grow up. Grow up in Christ. Shall we pray?